Thank you for taking time to listen to this Redemption Church sermon. Redemption Church exists to make authentic disciples who live for the glory of God and the good of our world. We want to help everyday people wake up to a deep, meaningful life in Christ. We pray this sermon will help. For more information about Redemption Church and for additional resources, please visit redemptionokc.com. Good to be back after a couple weeks away. Being sick is never fun, but happens to at least most of us, I think. So good to be back with you all. We're going to be in Philippians chapter 4 today. Uh, This week we're closing out our Road to Joy sermon series. Uh, We've been walking through the book of Philippians, and this is the last of our series. So we're going to be finishing this up in chapter 4, talking about money, which I know is your favorite thing to talk about. Uh, But what if giving your life away was actually the road to joy? Uh, We called this sermon series Road to Joy for a reason. It's a main theme of the book of Philippians. It shows up over and over again. Paul starts off and he says, I rejoice that you are partners with me. He goes on, he later says, rejoice in the Lord always. And in case you missed it, he repeats himself and says, again, I say rejoice. It's almost like we need to be reminded to rejoice, right? Uh, Because in a world that is oftentimes broken, it's easy to get downcast, isn't it? In a world where shootings happen, where abuse happens, where people die, where there's hardship and brokenness, where people sometimes go hungry, we need to be reminded that there is joy, and we also need to wrestle sometimes with the source of that joy, and that it's not always about our momentary happiness, and it doesn't always stem from ourselves. Sometimes we need a greater ground, something stronger to stand on for our joy. So let me pray for us, and we're going to dive in here. Father, I do pray. I ask that you'd sustain my voice today, that you'd help my voice to continue so that we can um, continue to, to study your word together. And Father, if I need to be silent, then you silence me. Uh, but Father, we pray that the truth of your word would be made known to our hearts, that you, by your spirit, would uh, enlighten us and help us to understand your word that you'd make it to come to life for us, cause us to believe it, to trust it, to walk with you, to seek you in all things. Uh, Father, we pray this through your Son, Jesus, and by your Holy Spirit. Amen. We're going to be in uh, Philippians 4, so I'm going to just take off and read here. Philippians 4, beginning in verse 10. Paul says, I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at length you have revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. Not that I'm speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound in any and every circumstance. I have learned the secret of facing plenty and of facing hunger, abundance, and need. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Yet it was kind of you to share in my trouble. And you Philippians yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I said it left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving, except you only. Even in Thessalonica, you sent me help for my needs once again. Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. I have received full payment and more. I am well supplied, having received from Epaphroditus the gifts that you sent, a fragrant offering, an acceptable sacrifice, pleasing to God. And my God will supply every need of yours, according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. 
To the God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. Greet every saint in Christ Jesus. The brothers who are with me greet you. All the saints greet you, especially those of Caesar's household. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Now this is the word of the Lord from, in a letter from Paul to a church in a place called Philippi. And you notice that it's a letter, and Paul makes it very personal in the way he talks about this. And so he talks about a gift that came from a friend of theirs, a mutual friend named Epaphroditus. And Epaphroditus had traveled from Philippi to probably Rome to where, where Paul was in prison. And he delivered a financial gift in order to provide for Paul and provide for his needs. Because in prisons there, uh, the state didn't provide for their food or their clothing or anything else. Their friends and their family had to surround them in order to provide for their needs. So the church at Philippi had sent a gift to provide for Paul's basic sustenance of life. And they'd sent it through a guy named, Phil, named Epaphroditus. And now Paul has sent Epaphroditus, he's written a letter to say thank you to them, and he sent that letter in Epaphroditus' hands. So Epaphroditus brought the gift to Paul, and then brought a letter from Paul back to Philippi in repayment of the gift. And so Paul is interacting with that and talking about the gift. And so it's why at the end of his letter, he goes and talks about money. It's not because preachers are a bunch of money-hungry, grubbing people, most of them. But Paul, Paul dealt with them earlier in the book, but that's a whole different set of issues. But what Paul's saying is, thank you for the gift that you provided for me. And then he's going to begin to focus on some of the spiritual issues that are there. So what I want to do today, I want to give you seven reasons why we should get, or seven reasons for joy-filled generosity. So for those of you that are note takers, for those of you who like to fill in the blanks and make sure all the boxes are checked and you're list makers and you just kind of got that OCD sort of like I need to make all this happen, this is going to be a really easy sermon for you. I've just got seven points. We're going to jump in and just run through it and we're going to walk through these one after another. I know that's probably good. School's out. Students, you probably turned your brain off. You're like, I don't have to think for three more months other than video games. And so you, you, we're going to make this as easy as we can. We're going to jump right into what Paul has to say. And so the first of these seven reasons for joyful generosity is to learn contentment. Verses 11 to 13, Paul talks about being content. He says, look, you gave to me in order to meet my need. Not that it's just about me being so needy. You know, there's a weird thing in spiritual circles where Paul's dealing with the dance of, one, he doesn't want to sound desperate, like, I'm not going to eat if you guys don't do something. But he also doesn't want to sound ungrateful for the gift that they've given. And so we're going to see Paul walk through a little bit of that dance. But what happens here is Paul's actually co-opting some of the basic philosophy of that day. Uh, do you guys feel like in our world there's some philosophies that are flying around on, on the airwaves of our world that are trying to influence the way that you think about life? Uh, the same was true in their day. And so the Stoic philosophers of that day were becoming very prominent. And the Stoic philosophers oftentimes spoke about the principle of self-sufficiency. So they have this idea that if you are uh, if you are a together person, if you are a person who's living in the fullness of who you are, you ought to, in a sense, become sort of self-sufficient. And so the goal of life was to live above need and to live uh, above uh, abundance in such a way to prove that you're self-sufficient. They would say serenity comes from being sufficient unto oneself. So if you want to be a peaceful person, then you extract yourself from any neediness to the world, and that's going to bring peace to yourself. It's interesting what Paul does here. Uh, Paul, in fact, in that day, some of the cynics would actually choose poverty in order to prove that they were self-sufficient. It's like, we're going we're gonna to make our life extremely hard to prove how, how, how together we are as human beings. 
What Paul's going to do here is he actually contradicts that very idea. He says, no, contentment is not, being, not found in being poor or in being rich. Contentment is found in Christ. And so he's going to point them from self-sufficiency to Christ's sufficiency and their dependence upon him. Now, it's interesting that what Paul says here is that, um, that there's a sense in which recognizing our weakness actually makes us stronger. So Paul uses their language, and he describes the life that the Stoics wanted, but he said this, that kind of life doesn't come from yourself. It actually comes from Jesus. And then he makes the famous statement that we quote so often, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. You know it. It's one of the verses you memorize early on in your faith. Uh, because it sounds good. I remember when I played football, it was one of the verses that everyone quoted in the pregame prayers. You know, everyone wanted to talk about this because you either wanted to go crush someone or avoid getting crushed. And so you were saying, well, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. It's interesting that this verse has nothing to do with any of that. Uh, but it's oftentimes what, what as teenage guys, we were like, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, like a touchdown. Because that was what was important to us at the time. It's, uh, this verse has to be one of the most tattooed verses uh, that's, that's approved for Christians, right? Like most, I've got a friend who's, whose sister-in-law actually tattooed this verse, and they misspelled Philippians. It's easy to do. Be careful if you do this. Um, but the, the problem with tattooing this verse on you is that this verse actually has to do with your contentment. It doesn't have to do with all the ground that you're going to take and the victories you're going to win and all the great things you're going to do. It actually says, now I can be content in whatever circumstances I find myself, which is a really strange thing for a tattoo. I don't think most people that tat that on their ankle or on their forearm are saying, look how content I am in the world. It's a, it's a little bit of a misconception of what is actually here in this passage. So when you think about that, this statement is, first of all, it's a confession. When you say, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, you're also saying, I can't do all things on my own. I'm not self-sufficient. And so it starts there and then moves towards a place of, being, uh, of trusting Christ. It means we should be humble, knowing that we're dependent upon a greater source of strength than what we can muster on our own. But it also means we should be confident, because in Christ, we can do all things. In Christ, we can do everything that, that, that the Lord has asked us to do. And so Paul says, I've learned to be content whatever comes my way. And you notice he puts this list of contrasts up there. And he says, I'm content. I know how to abound and I know how to be poor, how to be brought low. I know the secret of facing plenty. Isn't that interesting? The secret of facing plenty, meaning there's a danger that comes from having too much. And, and, and there's a danger that ought to be there. So I know the secret to even facing having a lot of stuff. And I know the secret to facing hunger, meaning not having as much as I really need. And he says, I know that I've learned to be content in abundance, and I've learned to be content in need. But you know, there's a key word there it's easy to overlook. Um, Paul says what? I, I've learned. To learn something means there's admission that you didn't know it at one point. Any of you feel like you need to learn how to be content? Like you didn't, you didn't come out of the womb as a baby and step in the world and your first word were, give to you, mommy and daddy, you're so wonderful. No, what do the first words kids often say? Mine, right? Mine, mine, mine. Like that's the way it does. That's the way you start out is you just understand I, I need stuff in life and I want to enjoy life. And so I grab hold of things and we have to learn to be content. So Paul says, he, he says, I didn't just just enter the world this way, but I actually had to learn 
how to be content in any circumstance. And Paul says the Lord has done this because um, he's, he's continued to work in his life. Now, here's the interesting thing. Part of what Paul's saying is because my contentment is not based on my self-sufficiency, it's based on the sufficiency of Jesus, then that means in any circumstance, whatever comes my way, I can continue to trust him. The Christian doesn't waver based on the ups and downs of life. If abundance comes my way, Jesus says, I mean, Paul says, my job is to be a follower of Jesus. If poverty comes my way, my job is to be a follower of Jesus. My worth, my worth and my obedience don't waver based upon the ups and downs of the swings of the stock market. But they're built upon something greater than that. Uh, you know, it's interesting. We tend to say I'm really blessed whenever we can point to a nice home or we can point to something else. What Paul says is, I know I'm blessed regardless of my circumstances because Christ, because I belong to Jesus. And that's the thing that drives me. Um, but it's interesting that this, this idea of contentment doesn't mean that we're to be just lackadaisical about everything in life. In fact, elsewhere, Paul writes in Ephesians, let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him work, doing honest work with his hands so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. Meaning, we are to get jobs, we are to work, we are to, to seek in order to, to profit things so that we have something in order to, 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 to give away and to serve others. It's not just about ourselves. And so that ultimately brings us to the second reason for joyful um, generosity, which is to partner with people you love. Uh, Paul in verse 10 starts off and talks to this group, and he says, I rejoice in the, in the Lord greatly that now you've revived your concern for me. Indeed, you were concerned for me. You, you began to share in the burden that I have. And this gift represents for Paul something much more than just a, a financial contribution. They have a long-term friendship and relationship of trust that's gone both ways, where Paul's cared for them and they've cared for him. And later he's going to talk about receiving and giving, which is this nature of friendship, not in a sort of transactional sort of way, but just in a reciprocal sort of way. Like, man, I got your back and you got my back. And so there's a relationship and a friendship and a care that is there apart. Um, notice all the, the relational words. He says, you, it was kind of you to share in my trouble. Meaning when you, when you saw that I was carrying a burden, you stepped up underneath that burden and sheltered it with me. You shouldered it with me and began to carry the burden that I had. It's interesting the word he used. He says, you revived your concern for me. Meaning there was a time where they sort of were disconnected. They weren't in the same city. They weren't there. But when they heard about Paul's need, he said, you didn't, you didn't have concern for me before because you didn't have opportunity. You didn't know about the need. But when you found out about the need, he says, you revived your concern for me. And the word is actually there is, is from, um, from, from, is kind of a botanical image. It talks about you, you caused your concern to blossom again, like the flowers that come up in the spring. Meaning your heart beat for me and you came to life in order to help shoulder the weight of my concern. Now, when they were able to, to help Paul again, it says they initiated and began to reach out to him and began to care for him. Uh, friends, can I encourage you with something? I just know how life is and I, I see it in the ups and downs and the ebb and flow of life. I know some of us have given to the church in the past and then we, we stopped giving. Because we have a we have a we have, we have a church hurt, or we have a church transition, or maybe we go through a situation where uh, where we have a, we're out of work for a time, and it's hard to then step back into it. And you just maybe you intend to. I think this is interesting with Paul, where he says, "Look, you you had a you had a concern for me, and then that wavered for a while. But then when you had opportunity, you jumped back in and revived your concern for me. And this might be just a good reminder for some of us that man, it's begun to just fade away for us. It's just that man, we want to call people back into 
investing because of the love of the church, which is what the church of Philippi was doing for Paul. And so there was this sense in terms of giving. And let me just say this. When we look at the scriptures, the, the scriptures always talk about our giving being of our first fruits, meaning it's the, the first priority. It's the thing that we start off with. And so when we get a check, we start with what am I going to, what am I going to invest in the kingdom of God? And so that's the, the first step we do. And oftentimes the scriptures talk about that as a beginning place. A good beginning place is 10%. And you may not be able to do that. You, you, you may be at a place where your finances aren't in order to be able to do that. But can I just encourage you to start somewhere? Start at 3%, start, grow it to 5%, and over time, begin to grow and ask God to, to grow your ability to share the need and the burden of others so that you can contribute to the, the mission of Christ. And what Paul is going to say over and over here is that he's joyful because he's focused on the spiritual realities connected to the giving, not just on the gift itself. And that really points us to the next point, verse, uh, the, third, the third reason for joyful generosity to invest in gospel mission. Verse 15, Paul says this, And you Philippians, yourselves, know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving except you only. Meaning, uh, now he says the beginning of the gospel. It wasn't when the gospel began. It's when they began to understand what the gospel was. And so you may remember the beginning of the church of Philippi. We talked about this uh, early on in our series. But when uh, this, this city of Philippi was an influential city on a main road called the Ignatian Way that went through a region called Macedonia on the way to Rome. And so there was this, this kind of thriving metropolis. And in that, there were, there were no Christians or no believers. And so when Paul... Uh, felt like the Lord led him to go to that place in order to preach the gospel, he began to look for Christians. They said, well, there's no Christians, but there's this little group of ladies down by the river on the Sabbath that meet down there, and they're God-fearers, which meant they understood the God of the Old Testament, but they didn't know about Jesus. And so Paul said, well, I'm going to go and talk to those ladies. He went, and he preached the gospel to these women that were there who were doing the best they could with what information they had to follow the God of the Old Testament. But can you imagine following the God of the Old Testament and not knowing about the grace of Jesus? And Paul shows up, and he says, let me tell you the Messiah that all the Old Testament prophesied about has come. The Savior has come. Jesus died for your sins. It's paid in full. You have, you, you have forgiveness of sins in him. If you simply put your faith in him, you'll have new life and forever life and abundant life through Christ. And they trusted Jesus. And so this group of women became uh, the, the foundation of this church that began in Philippi. And so when Paul says from the beginning of the gospel, what he's saying is, from that very first time you heard the good news of the grace of Jesus, you immediately said, I want to partner in the mission of Jesus. And that's what ought to happen in our hearts. That when your heart is impacted with the love of Christ, you immediately ought to go, I want to share the love of Christ with others. And that's what happened in Philippi. And so Paul points back and he says, look, from the very beginning, you all have been those who partner with me in giving and receiving. And yet at that time, you were the only one. Friends, do you realize that that's how the mission of God always moves forward? It is through this, the, the sacrifice of God's people. That when God's people sacrifice, that's, that's the means by which God uses to, the, the God uses to move the mission forward. Uh, but it, everything's happening within the framework of friendship. In fact, that language of giving and receiving comes from, uh, from, from, a, from that time period. And that time period, when they talked about giving and receiving, what they would have heard was, these are friends. That's what friends do. And so when they heard that, Paul's saying, you are my friends from the very beginning. And it really highlights the importance of trust. Do you ever find it hard to give to someone when you don't trust them? 
to invest in something when you don't trust them. Paul is going to highlight that. In fact, there's other times in Paul's ministry where he's dealing with another church and there's this kind of conflict that's going on and there's this animosity in the, in the water and Paul's trying to step into it and it's like, oh, this feels icky and messy and I'm not sure exactly what to do with it. And what Paul is going to say he, in those situations, he says, I'm not going to accept anything from you because I don't want you to come at me and say, you're just here as a mercenary trying to milk something from me. So Paul says, in fact, he says, in that instance, he said, I robbed other churches and let them provide for me because I wanted to care for you and I didn't want you to get the wrong impression. So he was one to set that aside at that time. But the picture we see here of what Paul and the Philippines, Philippians have is this mutual trust and friendship and relationship. Paul says elsewhere, he says, I will not be a burden to you, for I seek not what is yours, but you. I love the simplicity of that statement. I think that ought to be the heart of every church. It is not just that I seek what is yours. I seek the stuff you can give, but I seek you. I want your good. Paul says earlier in Philippians that I'm here for your progress and your joy in the faith. That everything I do is to help you grow up spiritually and for you to become more joyful and experience the flourishing of life that God wants to give you. So this is what we want to be about as a church, and it's what ultimately drives Paul, and, and I hope what drives us. But the, the church at Philippi, this wonderful thing happened of this kind of community of the common cause that came together. And I've got a, a slide here. I wanted to show you kind of a triangle that you see all throughout the book of Philippians. Paul, say he references this and talks about this over and over and over, where uh, you start off and you've got uh, the, the church at Philippi and you've got Paul, and they're united by Christ and by the gospel. And so he says at the very beginning that I rejoice and I thank God for you because of your partnership with me in the gospel of Jesus. And so as Paul is running after Jesus, and as the church at Philippi is running after Jesus, they come together because of the common Christ, uh, common cause of making the grace of Jesus known to the world, and learning to walk in that, live in that, and display that before others. And I think that's the picture that we're meant to get from this. Friends of the church is a community of the common cause. Christ saved us. Christ brought us together and unites us. Christ leads us. Christ empowers us. Christ sends us. Everything we have together, we have through Jesus. And so that's the thing that compels us as we move through life. And because of that, we come together to share resources for the sake of Christ and his mission. That's what Paul is pointing us to. Sometimes that means we give towards a very specific need. Um, so for number four, in terms of our reasons, is to meet a real need. Verse 16, he says, even in Thessalonica, you sent me help for my needs once and again. He's referring to a specific instance, isn't he? When I, was a, when I was in Thessalonica, when I was in this one situation, you heard about that one need and, and you wanted to give to it. Uh, some of you, it's interesting as I talk about, as I've done this over the years just as a pastor, I find that some of you get really motivated when you hear the big ideas and the big theology and God is huge and God has saved you and he's done this and you're like, yeah, I don't want to give to that. And others of you, gotta, you hear that and go, well, that sounds great. But when you go, hey, there's this, there's this man over here who's left prison and he doesn't have a job and he needs work and he's trying to figure out how to make his ends meet and he's come to Christ and he's trying to trust the Lord but he has no way to provide for himself and he doesn't know how to live yet out of prison. He has a situation and, and we have the chance as a church to engage with this situation. Some of you hear a story like that and you go, oh man, my heart is now like pounding out of my chest and I want to go care for that one need, right? Uh, do you know which, which one you are? Which of you are those that like, you hear the big vision, big dreams and you go, 
I get excited about that in, in the big theology. How many of you um, are the other way and you look and say, man, when I hear about a single mom who, who doesn't have a crib and has a baby on the way, my heart just starts to jump in that direction because there's a specific need. See, I think that's what Paul is saying, is that the, the gospel really provides both for us. It provides this glorious mission that's based in Jesus coming to earth in order to save us and us making him known and, and spreading the, the church and the good news and his kingdom throughout the earth for the glory of God and the good of all peoples. But it also is connected to the most minute individual saint in the world that we can reach down and care for in a moment of need. And, and we're really called to do both. And so Paul here talks about the specific need. From Philippi to Thessalonica, it was about a 95-mile journey. And Paul, they heard about this, and he says, you went once and again, meaning you, you were running up and down that road bringing gifts to me to care to meet this need because your heart had been stirred because you'd heard about the need that was there. In fact, uh, the Philippians were a church that became known for their compassion for others and their generosity. 2 Corinthians 8, Paul is writing to another church in Corinth, and he says, I want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that has been given to me among the churches of Macedonia. You know who the churches of Macedonia were? This is the Philippians. And so he's saying, he's writing to a church in Corinth and said, I want to tell you about the grace of God that's at work in these people called the church at Philippi. And they became known for their generosity. He says, in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. And can you, can you hear what he's saying? In the midst of their going through this incredible affliction, in the midst of their extreme poverty, they had an overflowing abundance of joy that resulted in their overflowing of generosity. That's a God thing, right? What makes people that are in under, under suffering and, and struggling to make their own sin meet generous people? Well, that has to be an act of God. That's not going to be an act of self. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, though. And so the church at Philippi began to meet this need. He goes on and says, For they gave according to their means, as I can testify, but even beyond their means of their own accord, meaning they didn't just give what they could. They gave beyond what they probably should. And he says, uh, he says, uh, of their own accord, meaning no one compelled them to do it. They just wanted to. They said, would you give us the privilege of being a part of meeting this need that you have, Paul? And they began to reach out. He said, begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. Isn't that beautiful? That God worked in the hearts of a group of people. And they just said, Paul says, they were begging us for the privilege of being able to take part in meeting someone else's needs. Does that look like a radical countercultural thing in our world? If God does that in a group of people? It was radical in their day. It's why Paul was talking about it. He says, in this, not as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord and then by the will of God to us. Friends, this is the only way that works. You notice what he says about the Philippians is, the, the, this radical generosity that came out of them of their own accord. No one, no one, it wasn't compuls, uh, compulsory. It was something that they just said we want to do. They begged for it. It says they first gave themselves whom? To whom? To the Lord. So it started spiritually. First they gave themselves to the Lord, and he says that then they gave themselves to us. The only way that happens is if your, your heart is stirred initially by God. 
That, that if, you're, if you're giving just to meet a need, you're always going to fall short. But if you're giving out of faith in, in the Lord, then he says they were able to give over an abundant, uh, abundance of what they had given. Friends, can I, can I just share with you a little bit of my heart and some of the struggle I had this week? Um, it's been a hard few weeks in our world, hasn't it? You know, the, the thing that I, that I realized in this situation, Paul's talking about the, the great need that he was talking about that the Philippines met. It was, a, it was a physical famine. So there's a famine that ravaged land and people that were starving and hungry. And so they had a physical need for food. And, and their hearts went out to provide that for other people. And what I just see in our world right now is that we're living in a spiritual famine. Um, people in our, in our world are dying of starvation for spiritual nourishment. And they've exiled themselves from the Lord, and they've exiled themselves from his ways and his word. And because of that, we're seeing just havoc wreaked in many, many ways. And I sent Chris a text on Tuesday night, <clears throat> and let me show you the first text here. I just said, I think I'm going to need to just pray for our country on Sunday. For me, it's just too much to ignore. We could chat tomorrow and think more, but I... I need to build something in, I think. Just not sure how to move forward on Sunday. Any of you feel that stopped in your tracks on Tuesday when you heard about Uvalde? When you heard about another school shooting? And you saw the numbers tick up from 12 to 14 to 18 kids? And you saw just the, the ramifications of what's going on in the world? And it stopped me in my tracks. And Chris responded to my text and he said, yeah, tell me more what's going on. And I just said, another school shooting today, Texas, 18 kids and four adults. That was the information I had at the time. Some of those numbers have changed now. But I said the Southern Baptist report on sexual abuse and the cover-ups that took place there over decades, the California church shooting. Um, actually, the hero in that situation was a guy I went to college with. I didn't know him well, but know him. And he was the guy who stopped that fight. And the Buffalo shooting, just one thing after another. Do you feel the weight of that in our world? I think there's times when I hear it and I just think, and what do we do? What's the right thing to do? And I told Chris at that moment, I was like, I just, I think we just need to stop and pray. And I went on to say in the last text, I said, to be honest, I said, I'm just thinking about fundraising and preaching a sermon on money and giving. And it just all doesn't make a lot of difference if the Lord doesn't show up and do something bigger than what we can pull off on our own. Friends, I just, I felt, I felt like I was, I was stuck. I was stuck by the pain I saw in my world. I was stuck by the darkness I saw in our world. I was stuck and trapped by just the hopelessness that seemed all around us. But let me tell you what the Lord did over the next couple of days. Um, we are going to pray. I'm going to tell you, we're going we're gonna to start meeting at our church building, and we're going to make it a house of prayer. And we're going to begin to go there and pray and seek the Lord and ask him to do something that we can't do on our own. And so we're going we're gonna to begin to do that. We'd actually already been talking about that before this. But I think the answer for me as I looked through this and as I looked at what Paul was saying in Philippians and I thought about everything he said in this book is we don't just need to stop and pray one Sunday. We need to do what we're called to do as the church. We need to be the church. And in some sense, what happened to me as I dove into this passage and began to look at what Paul was saying about all these things was money is not separate from prayer. That the, the, the money that, that we give to the Lord's mission is not separate from the mission of Christ. 
But those things are all connected. And what Paul's saying is there's a need in our world that, that needs to be met. And for us in our world, it's not a physical famine, but it's a spiritual famine. We have people that are starving. And so we're going to go to the Lord and we're going to pray. And we're going to pray and ask the Lord to bring hope to the hopeless, to bring light to darkness, to continue to reach people and bring freedom to captives, to bring peace to the anxious, to bring joy to the downcast. Our world needs a church that shines, church that shines as the light of Christ in our, in our city. And we can't control everything that happens out there, but I'm convinced that in God's plan for the world, his plan is to send little groups of people called churches into every city that begin to bring, make disciples and help people learn as apprentices of Jesus to walk in the way of Jesus to bring flourishing to the world that he created and to save souls along the way, as many as he'll give us. And so that's what we want to be about as a church. And so, friends, it, in some ways what God did was he reconnected in my brain. Then I had a disconnect from the pain in our world for a minute. He just reconnected and said, no, the best thing we can do in the midst of all that is to be the church God's called us to be in our city. And so as I thought about that, where God has led us is to build a building downtown and, and to, to, to be a lighthouse for the gospel in the middle of our city. That's, it's at the hub of the wheel. It's the place where our city gathers, where people from all over our city come. It's where life is generated from our city. It's where so many people are moving, uh, already live there, but also are going to be moving there. And so as we think about what does it look like for us to, um, and just got some pictures here, we're just going to run through those. For those of you that don't know and that are new, I, I want to share these because I want you to know God has given us a vision for where we are supposed to be and how we're going to move forward. And we're raising money to try to build this building and to get into this space. And we still need to see God do that. But ultimately, what that building about is not about four walls. Yeah. Because we can do that. But we can't do everything that, that we need to see happen in those walls. And so as I think about those, <clears throat> and I think about the students in our world, the next, next generation, you know, it's interesting, I was watching you sing over here and got a little one, little kids bringing into the world. And as I see the tragedies of the world, I know people ask the question, what do we do to bring a kid into this world? And, and we need to pour into disciple the next generation. We need to create a space where people can come in and ask questions and wrestle with their doubts. And we have good answers, friends, but the world doesn't have good answers to the questions that our kids are asking. We need a place where they can come in and ask those questions. We need a place for someone walking downtown on a lazy Sunday morning for a cup of coffee. Here's the word of God coming out of those open doorways in that building and wanders in and hears about the grace of Jesus. We need a place where on an evening we can call people in and invite them to come talk about the serious issues in our world and have conversations about things and point them to biblical answers so that their hearts find an anchor to hold on to in the midst of the anxiety and the turmoil. And we need a building where we can walk downtown to sing carols at Christmas, where we can invite people to come in after Heard Unheard and hang out and fellowship and connect in Christ, where we can uh, be there on a 4th of July parade to just give out water, invite people in on a Sunday to come back and be nourished spiritually. We need a place where a city can look for hope, where they know that there's a lighthouse downtown that has the hope of Christ and they can run to that space. That's what we want to be about. You with me? Friends, there's a spiritual famine going on in our world. And God has put us here to feed 
people. We're going to, be, we're going to open a restaurant downtown to feed the people of this city the truth of the gospel that they desperately need. It's going to be a soup kitchen for hungry people looking for a spiritual nourishment. So uh, let's look at the next um, reason for generosity. The fifth one is to gain future reward. Paul says, not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that increases to your account. See, every time they give, their contribution is an expression of their faith that gives evidence of the fruitfulness of their walk in the Lord and the, the, the gospel in their life. And this is one way they showed that they were experiencing progress and joy in their faith, is by their growing in generosity. And so Paul says that, not that I just seek the gift from you, but I actually seek the fruit that increases to your account. Meaning, the, 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 notice that phrase, increases to your account. The picture there is of a bank account that's receiving compound interest. So bank account, it says when you, when you give, your spiritual bank account is exploding and continuing to grow in compound interest. I met with my financial planner this week, Nan and I did, had a Zoom call with our financial planner, and I'll just tell you, uh, this is not a good time for investments. I don't know if you realize that or if you're unaware of that, but uh, the numbers we had were the worst numbers I've ever received from this particular guy. And I was like, I know you're excited about that phone call. Like, you know, every financial planner is like, so we need to talk. You know, like, things aren't good right now. Um, here's the thing that Paul's saying about this is, we never have to deal with that with the Lord. Our spiritual bank account never goes down 13%. Um, and that's good news, right? That God's investment accounts never crash. Uh, Paul says, when you make a spiritual investment, it yields continuous profit and increase to your account because of the investment that you made. Uh, their generosity equals their gain, meaning when they give money away in the, in the cause of the Lord and the common cause of Christ, it always increases to their divine um, account. Hebrews 11.6 says, Without faith, it's impossible to please God. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and he rewards those who seek him. And I don't know how all this works out. I don't know exactly what it is. I can't give you uh, like a prospectus of your financial earnings to, to expect. What I do know is that it says it's impossible to please God without faith. And part of that faith is that we believe God somehow rewards us when we seek him. And so let's be those who continue to seek him. God wants joyful givers. 2 Corinthians 9 says, the point is this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. Whoever sows bountifully will reap bountifully. Each one must give as he's decided in his own heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. Do you see what Paul's saying there? is don't let someone just twist your arm and squeeze something out of you. That's not the point. You have to give whatever you decide in your own heart. It's between you and the Lord. It's why the Philippines uh, earlier when it says that they gave first of all to the Lord and then to us, it's because they had this right. And that's what allowed them to be joyful givers was they decided in their own heart between them and the Lord, this is what God's laid on my heart to do. And then they gave freely because of that. And that's, that's our heartbeat because God loves a cheerful giver. Verse uh, number six, to make the Lord smile. I love this point that Paul, Paul goes to at, um, in, in Philippians. Verse 18, he says, I've received full payment and more. I'm well supplied, having received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent. But notice the words he uses to describe the gifts that they gave. He says, a fragrant offering and a, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. See, Paul saw the generosity. The gift, which met Paul's material needs, also represented a spiritual reality. Uh, which was that it was an act of worship. It was an act of honoring God. Uh, do you realize that when you give to the church, it's ultimately a gift to God? Uh, the, 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 that, that is the, the ultimate focus of what it is that we do. This language or this image, which is kind of weird to us, actually comes from the Old Testament. 
It's the Old Testament sacrificial system. So in the Old Testament, they would give sacrifices. So they would burn an ox or they would, would, would burn uh, different, different things in order to, to, and that would kind of, the smoke from that would rise up to the heavens and it would kind of depict um, an offering to God. That uh, was part of their worship. And Paul says this is a fragrant offering, meaning uh, it sounds gross to us to think about burning flesh, but in the Old Testament, in that picture, what it meant was this is a pleasing sacrifice. It was something God would accept. It was something that was, because it represented their generosity and giving an animal that was valuable and of great worth to them, that because of that personal sacrifice, it represented something that was honoring to the Lord. It was an outward expression that flowed out of heart that loved God and desired to honor God. What Paul does, he draws a direct correlation between that and our giving. He says that your giving is also an outward expression of what God has done in your heart, your love for God and your desire to honor God. And so when you give, it's a fragrant offering that's pleasing to the Lord. It brings a smile to his face. And here's what's fascinating to me when you think about this imagery. Ephesians 5 says, in walk in love, is Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Uh, so what image, do you see the, the repetition here? The same word? That God said, or Paul elsewhere wrote, when, when Jesus died and he gave his life for us, it was a fragrant offering and a sacrifice acceptable to God. When you give, it looks just like the same kind of sacrifice. When you contribute, when you financially invest in the kingdom of God and the mission of God, it, it is us following the example of Jesus. We, we live because of Jesus' self-sacrifice. We have new life because Christ gave his life for us, and, and we could never earn his love, but he freely gave it for us. And, and what Paul is saying is that when we freely give to the mission of the church, it's a similar self-sacrifice that's honoring to the Lord and pleasing to him. So um, that's number six. When we look at number seven to expand your faith in God. Paul says, my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. God's provision according to God's riches. For your need, he says, I'll meet your present, he'll, he will meet your present needs. Um, so that whenever they gave, they actually grew. Whenever they gave, they grew their faith because they learned to trust that the Lord will meet their needs. And so one of the reasons why we're generous and why we're joyfully generous is we know that in our, in our sacrifice, sacrificial giving, to the mission of God, to the cause of Christ, he's actually going to grow our faith. Do you remember what we looked at a couple weeks ago in the first part of Philippians 4? It talked all about their anxiety, right? It says that in the midst of your anxiety, that God will give you peace that passes understanding. He's coming back to that theme here and saying, in the midst of all your anxiety and your worry, even about your giving and your generosity and all the things that you do, Trust the Lord because he will provide your needs. He's going to grow your faith. My God, he says in Philippians, will richly supply the grace and humility you need. My God will richly supply, supply the peace that you need and for your anxiety. He'll supply the contentment that you need in, in good circumstances and bad. He'll supply uh, by filling you to the full, and he'll supply by our future reward in your heavenly bank account. So friends, how do we live this out? <clears throat> I, mean, I think it's pretty obvious, right? We live joyful, generous lives, and we live as a community committed to the cause of Christ. And Paul puts all this, kind of puts a bow on it at the end and says, to the glory and Father, to our God and Father, be glory forever and ever. Amen. That ultimately none of this is about us, but under the, under the umbrella, all seven of these reasons fit under the umbrella of the glory of God. That ultimately it's about him, and it's to make him known to our world. And friends, that is the road to joy. That is the place where you will find your ultimate joy. 
is when you've lived underneath his care and his grace. He, let me end with this. Paul begins, or ends the book, I think, where he began it. Philippians 1, 3 said this, and, and I'm, I'm reading this to you all because it's how I feel about, about each of you and about our, our, our people in our church. I thank my God and all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for you all, making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. And I am sure of this. He who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the, at the day of Jesus Christ. Friends, we're called to be a joy-filled community in the world from the first day until the day Jesus comes back. That's what we do. So let's live, let's live for him. Let me pray for us. Father, I pray that you would sustain us, that you would provide for us according to the riches that you have in heaven. Father, would you stir our hearts to be a joyful, generous people. Father, withholding nothing but confident in your grace and in your goodness and your care for us. Father, would you help us to live under the umbrella of your glory in all of life. Uh, Father, for, for the good of our world. Father, would you raise us up as a people? Father, you feed the hungry. Father, you bring hope and joy and love and kindness and compassion and care and generosity into this city for the good of others and for your glory. I pray in Jesus' name.